Beloved congregation of the Lord, will you please turn with me again to Isaiah 9, and we will begin by reading again verses 4 to the beginning of verse 6. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the days of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood, and this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Well, I think you will agree with me that these are difficult days for the Church of Jesus Christ to truly be a follower of the Lord Jesus in this part of the world, or indeed almost any part of the world, you will receive opposition, hostility from those who reject the word of Jesus Christ. To confess Jesus Christ, to live for him, it is to live in opposition to the world, to the culture, to those with power and influence. It is to be marginalized and often Hated, and the Lord Jesus told it would be so. He did not leave us with that surprise that being a Christian would be hard. No, he told us very clearly, you'll be hated of all men for my name's sake. But of course, it's one thing to know that intellectually, it's another to experience it. Some of you may have experienced something of hostility, even from people you love and care about because of your faithfulness to the Lord Jesus. And then you begin to think how the world is filled with people like that, and so you become discouraged. What is it can lift you up out of that discouragement? Well, many things, but surely this. If you would reflect upon the mighty works of God in the past during dark periods, then... Surely that can give you much profit in your faith. You are not the first one to serve the Lord Jesus in difficult circumstances, nor are you the last. The Lord is faithful. That is something of what we see in this text. Isaiah writing here speaks to a people who are greatly discouraged, but brings their remembrance to the day of Midian. Verse 4. Why would he reference the day of Midian? Well, maybe, children, you've heard of a man who liberated the people of God from the Midianites, a man by the name of Gideon. Maybe you remember Gideon, he was not such a brave man. He didn't have such strong faith. He was always asking the Lord to strengthen his faith. He was the one who asked that he lay some wool out and that the sign of, of, that, uh, of the Lord's faithfulness would be that wool be, be soaked uh, over the night. And he was one who the Lord persisted and, and raised him up as a, a great judge in order to liberate the people of God from the hand of the Midianites, a great, numerous army, many, many 
fearful men who did not fear God, and they oppressed the people as a punishment for how they had oppressed the people, for how they had forsaken the Lord. It was a judgment from God. And he raised up Gideon, and he said something very striking in Judges chapter 7, verse 2, to this man Gideon. He said, said in verse 2 of Judges 7, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. You see, Gideon, he'd succeeded in raising up about 30,000 people in order to take care of the Midianites. The Lord looks at him and says, you've got too many men. If you were granted the victory now, even though you're already greatly outnumbered, you're going to assume that this was your own doing. And so what did he do? Well, well, the Lord said, I want you to go to these Uh, people and say, if anyone's afraid of facing this huge horde of army, I want you to walk away. Well, the majority of them walked away, about 20,000 of those 30,000 people. They walked away. They were left with only 10,000 men. And the Lord said, well, that's too many too. We, We need even fewer men. So he's told Gideon, I want you to go to the watering And I want you to see how they drink water. Anyone who goes down on their on their hands and knees and laps in the water, they're so exhausted. You send them away. The people who are vigilant and they they drink a little bit of the water and they sustain themselves while keeping watch. You you allow them to stay. And so all told, they were left with just 300 men, 300 men. And how is it that the Lord delivered this great army over to this this small band of soldiers? Well, he said, I want you to divide into three groups, three groups of a hundred. I want you to take jars and lamps and trumpets. I want you to approach this, this massive army, make a great bit of noise. Not the most wise battle strategy. But upon submitting unto this command of the Lord... The whole vast army of Midianites were thrown into confusion, began slaughtering one another, killing themselves, and then fleeing in disgrace. Those who survive, you see, the Lord has his ways of delivering from the the most impossible of circumstances. And in fact, he delights so to do when things are the darkest For the people of God, such as when he works, he works in such a way that he will receive the glory and that we will learn to depend upon him. It's in this context that this amazing prophecy of the birth of the Lord Jesus comes. Like in the day of Midian. Isaiah says, so also is the birth of Messiah. You see, Jesus, when he was born, it was not such a light and wonderful time for the people of God. No, it was a time of spiritual darkness over this whole world. It seemed as though the devil had had his day. that There would be no salvation for the children of men. And yet, in that time of darkness, the great light of the nations shone. 
This is what the Advent season is about, congregation. If we would reflect upon where we would be if the Lord Jesus had never come, and we could, would compare it with the blessings that have been bestowed upon us because of his coming into the world, then we have no reason to despair nor be discouraged in the calling that the Lord has given unto us. The Lord can work, and he can work in such a way that also in our own day he will receive the glory, and we can never bring any glory to ourselves. Well, with that, I'd like to begin to open up verse 6, and I trust it will take a number of sermons to unfold all the truths contained here. But I just want to begin with the first opening words there. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. We'll consider for a few moments Messiah's birth. Messiah's birth. We'll see he is born a child, he's born a son, and he's born to be given. He's born a child, he's born a son, and he is born to be given. Unto us a child is born. I think that Christianity is certainly unique in, in an infinite number of ways if you compare it with all of man's religions. But surely this as well. You can't think of God. You can't think of your salvation except you think of a baby. A baby, something that's a common thing in every society. You see babies, and maybe uh, if you're a man, you say all babies look alike. Well, or at least until you maybe have one of your own, and all of a sudden you begin to appreciate how babies are unique. But a common thing, a common thing for a baby to be born. And yet here it's held forth as that which upon all history turns. The birth of a child. This is what brings hope unto the people of God. The royal announcement from this prophet Isaiah through the inspiration of the Spirit. Centuries before it should happen that a child, the Messiah, was to be born. And if you would read this prophecy of Isaiah, he emphasizes that in some ways, in some ways, not every way, but in some ways, it was an ordinary birth. We'd look at this baby and there would be nothing that would jump out at you. So there wasn't a, a glowing halo over its head. There wasn't uh, some sort of... Um, visible sign that there was anything unique about this baby. He notes that in uh, chapter 53 of his prophecy, verses 1 and 2, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. An ordinary baby. He says you wouldn't walk through the woods and say, look at this little shrub. Look at it. It's astonishing. It's amazing. You wouldn't do that. It's an ordinary thing. So also you look at this little baby, the Messiah. Nothing extraordinary about that. Just another baby. Baby with 
with hands and feet, a baby with, with blood and, and with a stomach, with intestines, with a, with a brain, with ears, with eyes, everything. A real human body and a real human soul as well. A mind, a will, a human mind and a human soul, a human baby boy, a real child. It said, isn't it, in Luke chapter 2, verses 52, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He grew up as any other child. He grew in wisdom. He had to learn. He had to be instructed by Joseph and Mary, an ordinary child. And so there in the family of Joseph and Mary, he was raised up and he was raised probably to apprentice with his adopted father, Joseph. He grew up in the carpenter shop. He, he grew up in that Jewish nation receiving religious instruction from his mom and dad, from the scribes and from the elders. An ordinary baby. He wasn't born in some great palace. He wasn't born as someone who was the child of human royalty, who had an office of, of royalty. He was not wealthy. No, his mom and dad, or adopted father and his mother, they had nowhere to lay down their head when they traveled into that city of Bethlehem. There was nowhere for them in the inn. They had to take refuge in a stable and lay him there in a manger, in a feeding bowl for animals. Not only ordinary, but very humble circumstances. They couldn't even afford the more uh, wealthy uh, sacrifice upon his circumcision on the eighth day. And so, you see, they had to just have two turtle doves as their little offering unto the Lord. And surely that continued throughout his life. A, A poor boy, a poor man, very ordinary, very humble. And this is how low Jesus Christ stooped. I think we should take this to heart. Surely, if the Lord Jesus would humble himself even unto the form of a child, as a tr- born as a baby, surely this should affect how we think of children. Children. Yeah, surely even... An unbeliever can say, yes, a child is a gift. A child is a good thing. But how much more when we know that a ch- the, the status of child has been elevated, that even, even the Lord of glory himself did not consider it robbery or a scandal to be born into this form of a child. Surely children should be beloved in the Christian community. In days where child abuse, in days where the robbery of the innocence of children is, is so common, in days where really children are, are not much loved or welcomed, surely among the people of God, children, children should be welcomed. Children should be loved. Children should be cared for. And they should be told, even you children here today, that the Lord Jesus has such love for children like you, that he himself became a little child, a little boy, to be your Savior. 
we see he is born a child, an ordinary child, but certainly a miraculous child. It ought not to be neglected. The same Isaiah, he prophesies in Isaiah 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah 7, verse 14. Born a virgin, born without any involvement of a man. An astonishing thing, something that has never happened before or since. A singular miracle of God. Receiving his humanity, his human nature from the material of his mother, and yet without any male involvement. Indeed, this was to be a representation and a sign that this child was unlike any other child, whereas every other child is conceived and born in sin with the guilt and corruption of our father, Adam. Here's the only child who is utterly sinless through a miracle of the Holy Spirit, conceived and born sinless. Hebrews 7, verse 26, For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, undefiled, without any sin nature. Without this, there would be no salvation for sinners like us. If there was a Savior, so-called, who had to die for his own sin, who had inherited some corruption from his father, Adam, then there would be no hope for any one of us. No, the Savior, the great high priest of his people, must be utterly sinless. And that miracle, the born of a virgin and born without sin, was was attested to by other miracles, wasn't it? Think of how it was in in Luke 1. We read about how the angel Gabriel appeared unto his mother Mary and said in, in verse 28, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And she was confused, Mary. How could this be? Well, he answers, verse 30, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. A miracle of the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 35, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. What greater miracle could we conceive of than the incarnation of the Son of God, that this very child should be the Son of God. That is the greatest of miracles, and one that is not only spoken of in the New Testament, but here in our verse. This one who was born a child is born a son. 
For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And it's striking how these two things are distinguished. Yes, a child is born, but in the birth of this child, there is also a giving, a giving from God. And the one who is given is a son. And it's a fitting distinction that the verse draws because the truth of the scriptures is that Jesus was a son before he was born of the Virgin Mary. Yes, according to his humanity, he was born and laid in that manger. He, he grew in wisdom and stature. He was true man. But according to his deity, according to his divine nature, he is eternal. He is true God. And not only true God, but the Son of God. Not to think that even this title, Son of God, was given to him or handed to him upon the incarnation. No, it is eternal. Eternal. You see this in, for example, the prophecy of Micah. Uh, famous because it's quoted in the Gospel of Matthew. But in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, we read about the location of Messiah's birth. And it's spoken of in a very striking way. Micah five, chapter 5, verse 2. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, that though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel whose going forth have been from of old from everlasting now it's important to understand the Hebrew going forth is could also be translated begotten or born and so the idea here he is born from out of Bethlehem but also his being born or his Coming forth or is being begotten, it says, is from everlasting. He has a birth in time to the Virgin Mary, but he is eternally begotten of the Father. And the Son of God even speaks of this in the book of Proverbs, chapter 8. One of those most unique cases where the Son of God speaks about his eternal relation to the Father. In Proverbs 8, verse 22, the Son of God speaks in this way. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way. Before his works of old, I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning and or ever the, the earth was. When there was. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were, were no foundations abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth. And then down in verse 30 of Proverbs 8. Then I was by him as one brought up with him. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the habitable part of the earth. And my delights were with the sons of men. Now therefore hearken unto me, O ye children, for blessed are they that keep my ways. 
eternally begotten of the Father, eternally with the Father, as John uh, the Apostle writes, in the bosom of the Father. From eternity, Father and Son. And so, in not a few prophecies, you do have this clear inference that the Messiah will be not only a true man, but also divine. And sometimes even with the title of the Son of God. Thus in Psalm chapter 2, or the second Psalm, verse 6, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my Son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. The Messiah, born not only as child, but as the Son of God. If we would understand something of the gospel congregation, or if we would remember what we have forgotten of the gospel, it must be this that the unsearchable depths of the love of God are most revealed in this, God the Father giving his dear only begotten Son. Unto us a Son is given, we read. What follows from that? I think it was Spurgeon who said that he would understand if The Bible taught that God had given a million worlds unto his son. For the son is supremely worthy. But what he can't understand, what his his mind could not penetrate was this, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The son of his love given not only to mere dust, mere humanity, given unto sinners, those who were rebels against him. Romans 5, verse 8, God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 8, verse 32, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Follow the logic here. Can you doubt the love of this God who would even give his son? One who would even surrender his own son, not only to the manger, but unto the cross. Think upon this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so you say, I have so little love for God. I have have times where I don't even know if I have any love for God. My heart feels so cold and dead. I am unworthy of his grace. I cannot come unto Jesus Christ. Listen to what it says, friend, here in his love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. If you would set your faith upon your own love, that is, but a flickering flame 
and is not any foundation or rest for your soul. But here, the love of God and sending forth his Son, here is something you can build your life upon. Here is a sure rock, a sure foundation that will never put you to shame. Here in the giving and the birth of the Son of God, we have here, we have here an astonishing display of God's love. With that, I'd like to just speak for a moment about this third thought. Yes, born a child. Yes, born a son. Also this, born to be given. For unto us, unto us, a child is born unto us, a son is given. You hear Isaiah writing in this way. Isaiah ministered in dark days. You read of all the things that we read in that scripture passage about apostasy, of darkness, of gloom, of abandonment of the living God. And he wrote unto those who would be much discouraged about such things. Maybe you are discouraged about a great many things, about yourself, about those whom you love, about the future, whatever it may be. Well, here is Isaiah, and he he sits down beside you, puts his arm around you, and says, Unto us, unto sinners like you and I, not unto the worthy, not unto the good, not unto those who deserved anything, unto sinners. Here's a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Jesus Christ, given as a gift of God's love unto sinners like you and I. What you must decide right here is that dare you refuse this gift. And you say, this gift is not for me. I am unworthy of this gift. I read here in my Bible, unto us a son is given. Unto you and to me, he is given unto the likes of you, sinner. There you say, he, he could not possibly for me be for me. I've sinned too long and too hard. Let me tell you this. Unto us a child is born, spotless, undefiled. Unto us a son is given with all power, might, and love from the Father. Come into our sin-soaked world. He speaks truly, friend. The power that he has here is to overwhelm and overcome all your doubts and fears, to say unto you today that he has come for you and you must receive him in faith. Nothing in your hands you bring, only unto this child you cling. Leave you with, with this story. You remember There in John chapter 4, there's that story of the Samaritan woman who is there by the well. And you recall what what Jesus said. He says to, to her, give me something to drink. And she's taken aback. And she says, how is it that you being a Jew ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And what was it that Jesus said? He said, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew the gift of God 
and who it is that says, says to you, give me to drink, you would have asked of him, and we, he would have given you living water. If you had known the gift of God, she didn't know it. She didn't know that God is not this harsh and unloving tyrant. He is a loving father who gives bountifully, freely, and openly. Friend, do you know the gift of God? Do you know him? Do you know that he is the love gift unto the world? That he is for you? Have you rested your soul upon him? Have you said that I have no other hope but that which is found in this child born in a man- or born of a virgin and laid in a manger? May it please the Lord to grant us much meditation on these things in this Advent season. May it fill our hearts with hope and grace. And may we come to see.